and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. Very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Well, we're back after a little bit of a break. Happy New Year to all of our Chinese listeners and uh, and those of you who all around the world who follow the lunar calendar. Happy Year of the Goat, Ram, Sheep. It doesn't matter. All three seem to count. Uh, we were off for a little bit because here in Vietnam. Uh, everything went dark for about eight days, and people are just now coming out of their food comas to kind of waken back up again. And just as we kind of came back uh, from the holiday break, a very big story broke, and it was the the spy cables. Now, for those of you who haven't been following it, it is a huge trove of intelligence documents from all over the world, actually, not just from one intelligence agency, but CIA, Mossad, MI6, South African intelligence, uh, all over. And they landed in the hands of Al Jazeera, who then shared part of it with The Guardian. Let's take a look at this little promotional video from uh, Al Jazeera that it gives a little more background on what the spy cables are. The spy cables. Hundreds of intelligence documents leaked to Al Jazeera's investigative unit. Ranging from confidential to top secret, they come from the world's major agencies. Israel's Mossad. Britain's MI6, Russia's FSB, and South Africa, which now faces its largest and possibly most damaging leak. And South Africa was one of the major, major countries featured in these in these cables. So far, we haven't seen all of them. Uh, South Africa is being described as the El Dorado of uh, of global intelligence, and Africa in particular is a centerpiece of a lot of what's coming out of these documents. Kobus, did it surprise you that Africa? played such a prominent role, and talk to us a little bit about how China popped up in these documents related to South Africa. I wasn't 100% surprised that, that Africa is is taking on such a, a prominent role because I think Africa is becoming the crossroads for a whole bunch of issues that that preoccupy, you know, kind of power world powers. These include security, um, especially radical Islam, um, and then resources. So not only not only commodities and, and mining metals and so on, but also water, land, you know. Um, so I think you know all of these all of these fault lines are running right through Africa. Um, what surprised me was the extent of it, um, how and how how much spying is going on and by how many people. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just, it was crazy. Um, well, and then, yeah, go Yeah, ahead. so the documents date from 2006 all the way to December of 2014, just last year. So there's almost eight years of documents. Let's kind of talk a little bit about the Chinese presence there, or in some ways, the lack of the Chinese presence so far, because what was interesting to me was that, as you talked about, Kobus, there's so much activity uh, in these documents about Africa. They also seem to mirror really the, the crescendo of Chinese engagement on the continent, but yet there wasn't much presence of the Chinese there. And that was that a surprise to you? Yes, it was. Um, the what was also surprising for me is that the Chinese presence seemed to be mostly in relation to commercial issues. Well, that shouldn't come as a surprise to you. That because that is the no, mainstay I, of Chinese espionage. No, I mean that's true. But on the other hand, I mean China has, has had a, a growing, uh, you know, kind of security presence in Africa as well, and it's certainly, you know, kind of there's been concerns expressed by the Chinese government now and then about the safety of Chinese citizens in in Africa. So I, you know, kind of, I would not have been surprised if there was more, you know, kind of investigation about, for example, the situation in relation to crime or terrorism. 
But you know, kind of what 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 I did find interesting was that there seemed to be quite a strong focus on on the nuclear sector. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so just as a bit of background, um, from the turn of the century, the, the South Africans have been, you know, the South African government has been funding South African researchers, trying to develop a kind of a mini nuclear reactor, which became to be known as the pebble bed nuclear reactor. Um, and it's essentially a, a, a small nuclear reactor that, that is supposed to be constructing chains. Like it's, it's, it's officially a modular nuclear, nuclear reactor. Now, South Africa has had, you know, kind of electricity problems for a long time especially right now um, and so this was seen as, as a um, solution to this problem and the South African government pushed a lot of money into it um, until the project essentially died in, in 2010 when the South African government withdrew its um, its funding um, after having essentially I think pushed several billion dollars into it um, and what now came out is that there was a lot of attention from Chinese um, intelligence agencies about this reactor um, and that China later actually went ahead and, uh, you know, kind of promoted its own very similar looking reactor, not to say that it was copied, but it is an interesting, you know, kind of coincidence um, that has now actually moved further ahead towards commercialization. Well, let's talk about the Chinese and the, the South African reactor. Uh, let me give you a quote here from the Guardian newspaper. And again, the Guardian and Al Jazeera, are the two main news outlets that are processing these various documents, these intelligence documents. And this is a quote. Chinese intelligence is identified in one secret South African cable as the suspect in a nuclear break-in. A file dating from two, December 2009 on South Africa's counterintelligence effort says that foreign agencies had been working frantically to influence the country's nuclear energy expansion program. Now, what's interesting is the document then goes on to say that the U.S. and France were far more engaged, actually, than the Chinese were here in South Africa. Now, it's interesting to note that the Chinese later, after 2010, once they shut this program down, uh, the South Africans did end up buying Chinese nuclear technology. And so one begs the question is maybe Chinese intelligence did actually help them in, uh, in that. We will never know, of course, but it does fit a pattern of Chinese spying where the Chinese intelligence apparatus is used in pursuit and in support of the country's economic objectives, oftentimes much more than the political or geopolitical and military uh, objectives that, say, the traditional Western powers use their intelligence agencies for. So how would you see this as, you know, kind of the, their mode of spying as, as different from U.S. spying? I mean, I know that you've done some reporting on that in the past. That's right. So I did some reporting in Los Angeles where there was a number of, uh, in, particularly in, in Southern California, where in the 1990s and the early 2000s, the U.S. defense establishment was very, very big in Southern California. And then also up in Northern California, uh, where Silicon Valley is. So a lot of Chinese military and technology and industrial espionage was going on and probably still is to some extent in California. Couple different things that differentiate the Chinese mode of spying uh, versus, say, the standard international. Instead of using agents, much like what we keep seeing references in these documents to Mossad agents in South Africa or American agents in Nairobi or in Addis Ababa, the Chinese use networks of people who oftentimes may not even know that they are pulling information for an intelligence purpose. So there's these kind of concentric circles that go out. And, and the Chinese, you know, they, they almost like a drug network or a drug cartel has their information gaps where one person doesn't know what the next person is doing and what their role in the food chain is. So information can get cut at any time and then the, the intelligence operation isn't exposed. That might be one reason why the Chinese are not showing up 
uh, on these types of cables is because people don't see them in the same way that they see a traditional Mossad agent. The other thing that's happening, no doubt in Africa, is that the Chinese, as everybody knows, uh, have become extraordinarily adept at cyber espionage. Uh, and my guess is they are pounding the hell out of, of African networks, in part because African networks probably don't have the same level of defense that the European and American and Japanese networks have. Uh, so they are much easier to penetrate. And so the Chinese actually don't necessarily have to have people on the ground because they can just go right into these networks, take what they need and get out and people don't even know the difference. So those are a couple different reasons why we might not be seeing the Chinese show up in these cables from 2006 to 2014 in Africa, while at the same time, the West and uh, the Israelis are really showing up a lot. Yeah, I mean, what it does, I mean, on, on a big, on a wider level, what it does also indicate is that when when Chinese government sources talk about it, you know, kind of American domination, domination in Africa or a Western, uh, you know, kind of a, how can I say, kind of a, a Western plotting or Western kind of machinations behind the, behind the, the screens in Africa, they kind of are correct. Well, you know? they are. I mean, I was surprised. At the, the level of, of especially U.S. influence, um, where South African intelligence agencies were essentially saying, "Well, if the Americans want that, they get it." You know, yeah, um, I mean, it, this is very interesting. To it hear. just want you just want to pull your hair out with frustration when you see. I mean, that an American official, like the former Assistant Secretary, oh, the former uh, Under Secretary of State for African Affairs, uh, Johnny Carson, or Hillary Clinton, or even John Kerry. You know, go to Africa and insinuate or sometimes directly accuse the Chinese of neo-colonialism in Africa. You just think to yourself, you know, this, it's mind-bending how the hypocrisy is. Because here we see from these cables the level of meddling that the French and the Americans and the British are engaged in in Africa. It, you know, from the selection of the African Union chief to domestic politics in so many different countries. Now, that being said, we cannot say that the Chinese themselves are not, being, are not necessarily doing it. They might be meddling in different ways. They're at least not being caught the same way that the Americans are here being revealed. And so I just, to me, the hypocrisy is galling that you hear these accusations of you know, overbearing Chinese influence, of neocolonialism, neoimperialism, when in fact so much of what we're discovering now through these cables is this meddling in other countries' affairs, in many ways unnecessarily so. Yeah, at the same time, it's, it's galling, but at the same time not super surprising, you know, um, in the sense also that what's also not surprising, sadly, is that Africa is so amenable to this kind of meddling. Um, what these, what these um, cables have revealed is that the South African intelligence agencies are riven by infighting, you know, kind of lots and lots of internal politics, very low levels of, um, of, of, you know, safeguards. The safeguards are very weak. You know, kind of the organization is very weak. Um, so it's, it's, you know, Wild West, essentially. You know, kind of, and it, 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 it's super easy for these foreign agents to come in and essentially buy information. Well, um, you know, it's, that, that's not, I have to say, again, because I worked as a journalist myself in South Africa, I'm not surprised. By that, that that is what I what I knew from from my own work, um, including you know kind of a, you know a government a, a party and a, a security apparatus that's completely hypnotized by internal power struggles within within the party. But doesn't this come back down to the key issue that you and I keep talking about over the years? 
which is governance. Now, that governance, whether it's public policy or whether it's managing an intelligence apparatus or whether it's managing an economic policy, all of it comes back down to the root problem, which is governance. And these foreign countries, whether it's China really dividing and conquering a country in terms of its politics, like we're seeing in Uganda, where it's being able to basically bribe the legislature and then, you know, throw in huge amounts of debt onto the, onto the Ugandan people, or the Americans or the French, you know, going right through the, the South African intelligence service. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's governance again. Um, it's governance, and and what what it reveals is is how ill prepared Africa is to be an actual player in the world, you know, um, because I mean, all, Africa was always called an emerging market as this kind of like euphemism, you know, kind of as like emerging market equals poor and not really a market in any reality. Now it actually is an emerging market. It is slowly emerging as a market. So, so, but, so you know, kind of, and we're now seeing it's really not prepared to kind of to take on that role. You know, kind of, it's, it's not, you know, kind of, it doesn't have the, the, the governance structures in place to, you know, kind of to play that role in a responsible fashion and, you know, kind of that in, in a way that is not going to endanger the world. You know, kind of the, it's, the, the systems are so weak that it's possible to, you know, kind of to manipulate them. And a lot of people are trying already. Um, and that it, it makes me worried, I have to say. Well, it should make you worry. And again, there's so much that's not being seen on this intelligence front. And I go back to what's going on on the online side. And again, if we're seeing this kind of wild west on the ground, my guess is there's an equal amount of, of you know, of chaos that's going on in, the, in, in cyberspace as well in the, in the African digital networks where the NSA, GCHQ, the Chinese intelligence services are all, you know, rummaging around. And in some ways, again, I think to your, to your point about a concern, and this goes back about the concerns that a lot of us have about the Chinese in Africa, is that ultimately it's a destabilizing force for a continent that is so desperately trying to get on its feet and that's made enormous progress in, in certain areas, uh, yet there are the challenges that are confronting it from outside forces are absolutely just tremendous. And on the other, you know, on the on the other side, I mean, without this kind of destabilizing force brought by by this infusion of Chinese money, there would never have been any chance for Africa to develop these skills. So essentially, it's like having to cross a bridge while you're still building it, um, which is not the optimum way of of crossing a bridge. You know, kind of, it's it's the hardest way to cross a bridge. Um, and the the fact that China is giving the money to build the bridge doesn't lessen the 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 crisis possibilities involved in the fact that they have to actually cross that bridge while they're building it. Um, so, you know, kind of it, 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 it is a messy process. But the problem is there's actually a lot less kind of room for maneuver within this messy process than there used to be. And I think, you know, kind of it, it puts Africa in a very complicated you know, kind of historical moment. That's right. And in some ways, I think what the Chinese reveal is very much what we're seeing with the Americans, that on the one hand, uh, the Americans are a, a, definitely a force for good. We saw that in uh, in West Africa with the Ebola crisis. We're seeing it in you know all of the USAID programs you know across the continent. Uh, billions of dollars, Peace Corps, you name it, blah blah blah. Those have been good force you know things for good. Many people would say you know on certain nights I'll tell you that you know USAID is a joke. But for today we'll just say that it's a positive kind of contribution. 
But these cables also reveal what a destabilizing force the Americans can be. Again, this intervention, the meddling, the, the, the destabilizing forces, the, not, you know, the violations of sovereignty, uh, all of these different things. And we've known this about the Americans in terms of their aggressiveness to pursue uh, radical Islam in northern Africa, also the, you know, the giving of billions of dollars of aid to less than democratic leaders. Uh, so the Americans, in many ways, highlight the, the push-pull. And I think in Chi- the Chinese also reflect that. And, and these cables allow you to think about the role and the presence of foreign powers in Africa, that it is not black and white. Uh, it's very much gray. It's giving of huge amounts of aid, infrastructure, knowledge, you know, technical transfer capacity and things like that, capacity building. But at the same time, it's also very destabilizing for countries, as you said, are learning on the fly. So, uh, so you know, looking back on all of this, what, what's your takeaway with respect to, to, the, to the cables and, 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 you know, particularly the role of the Chinese that you saw? Well, in terms of the cables in general, my, my first takeaway is use encryption software. I've actually recently watched um, Laura Poitras' documentary Citizen 4 on Edward Snowden. And, you know, kind of like that, you know, Edward, I, I, I want, you know, kind of, yeah, Edward Snowden's big message is, you know, encryption over, you know, kind of over everything. Um, so there's that, you know, kind of like people need to be more, more kind of proactive about their information. Um and then African governments need to be more proactive about yeah. everything. You know, kind of. I think you know, as you know, governance. It's it's the big problem. It is. Um, you know, kind of. African governments can't can't complain about being you know being taken advantage of if they so consistently make themselves ridiculously vulnerable. There we go. You know, um, and and there there's the problem. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, for me, the big takeaway, of course, is that uh, what we don't see isn't necessarily not there. So again, the Chinese did not show up in a lot of these cables from 2006 to 2014. Uh, but I suspect that Chinese intelligence is extremely active in Africa in lots of different ways, uh, but not in the same way that the Americans, the British, the Israelis, and others are. And they're looking for different things. So again, maybe the intelligence services, uh, the South African intelligence and Ethiopian and so forth, they're not actually paying as much attention to what the Chinese are doing because it's purely in the industrial and the economic espionage. It's not in the political, where there is where the factions, as you pointed out, in South Africa are much more aligned because it's the traditional way of looking for spies and whatnot. So we may see in another batch of cables in the few in the next few years, um, you know, revelations that the Chinese were involved. But I would encourage everybody to consider that the Chinese are most likely very, very aggressive in the cyber espionage across Africa, uh, both for political, military, and economic purposes. So that'll do it for this edition. Uh, Kobus, tell everybody about our new newsletter that we're putting out. Uh, You just did the past two weeks. I'm going to start publishing out the next two weeks. uh, And we're inviting everybody to join. Just go to our website at chinaafricaproject.com. There's a sign-up form uh, bar right at the top of the page. Uh, Every Monday, we give out a a newsletter. And Kobus, give us some highlights of what we've been putting into the newsletter. The newsletter has a few sections. Um, We put out a few interesting and provocative news stories that that came up. So, for example, this week we we, uh, reported on the fact that the China-Nigeria trade has hit $18 billion. Um, You know, so so some of the most eye-catching kind of news stories um, of of the week. Um, And we also try and include something that is a little bit from left field. Um, So, for example, I um, last week I posted a New Yorker photo essay on Iwu, which is the Chinese city where African 
African traders get a lot of uh, of the products that they sell in Africa, and it's just unbelievably eye-popping, beautiful pictures. Um, then we also uh, promote uh, the work of think tanks and academic work. Um, so you know, kind of we we post an article one one per week of new new think pieces, policy briefs, documents, and so on um, coming out of of interesting think tanks. Um, and this week um, we posted something from the South African Institute for International Affairs, which is also at at Vits. Yeah, it's a fantastic way to stay on top of the news if you don't really want to follow it that closely. Uh, you know, not everybody, Kobus, is like you and I who obsess over China-Africa news every day. So if this is just a way that you want to kind of check in, find out what's going on, uh, you know, go again to our website or you can head over to our Facebook page. We've got a sign-up form there as well. Just look on the left-hand side and it says sign up for email newsletter. Our Facebook page is at facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Almost a, just over a quarter of a million followers from people from all over the world. Kobus and I are posting almost every day. Uh, actually, no, every day uh, we're posting almost 24 hours a day, believe it or not. So all time zones are covered with stories about China, Africa. And if people want to follow what you're reading and writing these days, what's the best way they can stay in touch with you, Kobus? I'm on our Facebook page. Um, that's facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Um, and I'm also on Twitter at Stadenesk. It's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And you can find me on Twitter as well at E-O-Lander, E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. Why don't you let us know what you think of the show, Facebook, any stories that you think we should cover. A lot of people hit us up on Twitter almost every day, so it's a great way to communicate and reach with us. Uh, also, if you want to follow this podcast, best way, just head over to iTunes, search for China Africa Project, and we'll come right up there. You'll also find our mobile apps uh, in, the, in, in the iTunes store, and we've got one for Android as well. You can listen to this podcast, follow our Twitter feeds and whatnot. Uh, and just if you're over on iTunes, we'd be so grateful if you could leave a message uh, or a comment and rate us, because that makes it a little easier for other people to find our show in the future. So we'll be back again soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening.